listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Welcome to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist with the American Council of the Blind. And as I've been saying, sitting virtually this time next to me. (laughs) Clark Rockfall, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs. So thank you to everyone who is joining us during your uh, social distancing and quarantine time. Uh, Thank you for listening over ACB Radio, as well as downloading and streaming via your favorite podcast player. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about ACB and the work that we're doing during this COVID-19 pandemic, as well as additional resources we're making available, please check out www.acb.org. Great. Um, Well, on the topic of the COVID-19 crisis and the pandemic going around, going on around the world, um, we are honored to have an expert in the area of emergency preparedness, um, and specifically that impacts persons with disabilities. So um, we'll take no other time and just jump right into our conversation today. So um, it's really exciting to introduce Marcy Roth, um, who has quite a um, long history in the disability um, accommodations world as it pertains to emergency preparedness. So Marcy, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Hi everybody. I'm Marcy Roth and I am the Executive Director and CEO of the World Institute on Disability. Great. Um, so like I said, Marcy has a lot of experience in this world. Um, she's worked at a few different places that I'm familiar with and I'm sure many others that I'm not familiar with. So um, like we said, we're talking about emergency preparedness as it specifically applies to people with disabilities. Emergency preparedness is one thing, um, but when we're dealing with people with disabilities, we have all kinds of other different variables to consider. And unfortunately, as I'm sure does not surprise the majority of our listeners, oftentimes when it comes to things like putting legislation into place or accommodations, our community is often left out or the last group considered. So Marcy, do you wanna, um, if you're comfortable with it, talk about a few of your past jobs in the world of emergency preparedness so we can kind of understand where you're coming from? Sure. Um, so I had um, no intention of uh, leaving my focus broadly on the rights of people with disabilities. Um, until uh, uh, I first became involved with um, what happens for people with disabilities in disasters. Mm. And um, that has uh, um, been now almost 20 years. And um, I'll actually start by talking a little bit about what happened for me uh, two days after the terrorist attacks on the 11th. Uh, I was the uh, director of advocacy and public policy for the National Council on Independent Living, and um, uh, Brad Williams from the um, uh, State Independent Living Council in New York called me and said, "You know, we have a a, a problem in New York City," and and uh, I 
said, yeah, well, you know, we all know. He said, no, we have an additional problem in New York City. We have in the cordoned off frozen zone around ground zero, lots of people uh, with disabilities um, aren't getting uh, access to the supports and services that mm. they rely on. And he said, um, we, uh, uh, you know, people who use personal assistance services, their uh, uh, providers can't get in because they've limited the frozen zone to uh, only people who can uh, show identification that they live there. Um, and, you know, he, he went on to tell me that, you know, there are lots of folks who uh, rely on paratransit and paratransit can't get in. And mm -hmm. there are people for whom the um, uh, transit system obviously has changed very significantly. And so, you know, where to go to use public transportation. Um, and, you know, so he sort of started to, you know, a long list of all of the things that were disproportionately impacting people with disabilities. And it, it was honestly the first time I ever really thought about, I wonder what happens for people with disabilities in disasters. Mm -hmm. and, um, that began what is now almost a 20 year journey um, that has taken me uh, uh, deeply into focusing what happens for people with disabilities in disasters. And, um, you know, over the past 20 years, I've had um, both uh, deep experience inside the government, uh, having had the incredible opportunity as a, an Obama appointee to go into FEMA and um, to serve as senior advisor for the FEMA administrator um, with the intention of um, building the what became the Office of Disability Integration and Coordination and um, building out a cadre of disability and um, emergency management experts. Um, uh, by the time I left FEMA, we were on track to hire uh, up to 285 disability specialists mm. and, uh, we had almost 200 at that point um i'll talk a little later about where that's all at today but uh, fema i became uh, uh i i established a uh a partnership um uh, with paul timmons established mm -hmm. the partnership for inclusive disaster strategies which was sort of the external uh, partner that I had hoped, uh, I had wished that I had had when I was at FEMA, you know, an organized a national coalition of disability organizations and leaders working together before, during, and after disasters. We, uh, we, we built the um, Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies and almost right away in August of 2017, um, Hurricane Harvey hit. Mm. 
And so I spent a very long time, uh, uh, you know, uh, focusing very specifically on hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria, and then uh, you know the the onslaught of catastrophic disasters that came since. Um, now, uh, uh, last uh, September, I was um, uh, invited to join the World Institute on Disability uh, as their CEO, and um, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a while. But um, so, Marcy, the 9/11 was nearly 20 years ago. Uh, Hurricane Katrina, 2005-ish. Um, the other Category Five storms that you mentioned um, going on two, three years ago. I, I imagine there are some sim similarities in the needs of people with disabilities throughout all of these emergencies and crises, um, but how has the availability of um, services or resources changed and evolved over that time span as well? Uh, so interestingly, um, the, the many of the very issues that uh, became apparent right after 9-11 are issues that I find that we're grappling with today. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's um, pretty horrifying, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the in-home support and the kinds of um, uh, support, uh, community-based supports and services that people with disabilities rely on, have been uh, you know, significantly disrupted. And um, there is today no system in place for the federal agency that has now been put in charge um, of managing this uh, public health emergency <clears throat> and pandemic um, to, to have any sort of direct focus on ensuring that people with disabilities have equal access to um, uh, the programs, emergency and disaster programs and services that they need. Um, and is there right uh, under both the um, uh, Rehabilitation Act of 1973, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, and the Stafford Act, and uh, particularly uh, what has been uh, added to the Stafford Act in the Post-Katrina Emergency Management Reform Act in 2006. Mm -hmm. And um, so unfortunately, uh, much of what we were building in terms, well, when I first came to FEMA, the FEMA administrator uh, told me that my primary responsibility was to engage the disability community. And um, so, you know, we spent almost eight years building out a, um, a pretty uh, solid uh, relationship between all of the uh, um, disability organizations wanting to be more involved and to serve people with disabilities better and uh, the federal government 
not just FEMA, we had an interagency um, uh, um, uh, coordination team of 25 federal agencies all working together um, under an executive order that was established in 2004. Um, mm. That uh, interagency coordinating council on emergency preparedness and people with disabilities um, hasn't met um, since, I believe, since I left FEMA in uh, 2017. And um, so there's uh, very little interagency coordination and FEMA no longer uh, uses its disaster uh, disability uh, uh, cadre to work uh, uh, with the uh, national disability organizations and the state and local disability organizations um, in uh, coordination. Uh, FEMA's disability integration specialists now only work in uh, directing other uh, FEMA folks on the ground. So Marcy, you were saying that, you know, things haven't changed much, unfortunately, in the last almost 20 years. But to me, COVID-19 looks so different. Um, it's such a, an interesting thing that none of us saw coming, um, unfortunately. Um, and as a result, we haven't been prepared. Do you see the resources that are, are necessary for the disability community? Do you see them as different or are the, the needs still the same? Does this look different or do you feel like, you know, we still need to have the same principles put into place? I'm just curious with COVID being so different than past issues. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I think my answer, Claire, is um, yes and no. Um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, the the um, one uh, truth that cannot be overlooked is that there are no waivers to the civil rights protections that people with disabilities have, even in a disaster. Mm, I like that. Yeah. No waivers no disaster loopholes. You can't say it's the middle of a disaster. We'll mm -hmm. get to it later. You can't say this is too hard. People with disabilities have a right to equal access to non-discrimination. We have a right to physical access, program access, effective communication access, and that again, cannot be waived. So, mm -hmm. um, so when, when you ask, you know, is this different? Is this the same? Well, um, the underlying rights are exactly the same. Um, what's also the same is there is uh, no effort to um, monitor and enforce those obligations. And the obligations um, are, are tied to the um, uh, use of federal funds uh, by the federal government and to, uh, the, uh, any use of federal funds by recipients and subrecipients of federal funds. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's all under the uh, Rehabilitation Act, which uh, seamlessly uh, 
uh, works with the Americans with Disabilities Act. So even if um, federal funds were not being used, um, which is a very small amount of uh, uh, situations, um, those rights that people have are still very much intact. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, with regard to COVID, um, there is still an obligation to make sure that people have equal access to effective communication. Mm -hmm. People need information in accessible formats in order to be actionable. Information has to be accessible to be actionable. Um, and for that reason, um, it is imperative that uh, people who are blind, people who have low vision, people who are deafblind must be included in all of the communications so that uh, they are able to take personal protective actions so that they are able to equally benefit from the programs and services that um, are uh, being made available. Um, and unfortunately, by and large, this is not happening. We've mm -hmm. had big problems with CDC uh, information not being um, audio described. Uh, we've had big problems with the information not being captioned for people who are deaf, people with low vision. Um, there's, uh, uh, you know, it's been very difficult to get information um, for people uh, in uh, plain language, in easy uh, read and easy understand formats. Um, and these, this is a basic aspect of uh, the rights that people have, and that hasn't changed. So COVID has, has not changed the need. Uh, certainly there are a number of very specific issues um, that make this even more complicated and even more dangerous. Um, but the, 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 the funder, fundamental underpinnings um, are, you know, Marcy, that's such a great point. Not only, like you said, not only have our inalienable rights not changed due to COVID, but the needs that many people have um, have not changed, whether that's mm -hmm. information in alternative formats, um, medication access, transportation access, uh, all of those things. And like you said, they're tied to federal dollars. So talk with us a little bit about those federal dollars. There's been a lot of money um, pouring out of the federal governments to state and local gov governments, um, businesses, nonprofits, the healthcare sector. Um, how do you see those impacting uh, people with disabilities during this pandemic? And what else needs to be done? So, you know, there is, there is some really good news uh, that is embedded in the uh, Senate bill that goes to the House today. Um, they're uh, of most interest to, uh, to us. Um, there is a lot of money for the Administration for Community Living 
um, for which includes $85 million for Centers for Independent Living, over a billion dollars for senior services, 50 million for um, aging and disability resource centers. Uh, and, uh, you know, I could go down the list. There's some funding for housing. Um, there's some uh, funding for legal services, um, money for the Bureau of uh, Prisons, uh, money <coughs> for SAMHSA, for um, uh, addiction and mental health services. Um, but as I go down the list, what is absolutely missing, uh, we introduced two bills uh, last year. One is the Real Emergency Access for Aging and Disability Inclusion for Disasters Act. Um, that's a bill uh, bipartisan, has uh, uh, Republican and Democratic support. It's uh, bicameral, meaning that there are House and Senate bills uh, uh, identical, uh, both introduced. Um, and a second bill, which is the Disaster Relief Medicaid Act, um, again, bipartisan, bicameral. Um, neither of these bills or any of their language was included, despite our best efforts. Um, and there is a lot in those bills that would be very helpful right now for the COVID uh, uh, public health emergency. And um, if we, um, there are those of us who want to gently, um, maybe the word is a little stronger than gently, but <laughs> remind everyone that we don't have the luxury of planning for one disaster at a time. Mm -hmm. And um, this is not a time to back away from preparing for another concurrent disaster, like a hurricane, like a tornado, like a wildfire. Uh, you know, there are many, many, there was an earthquake in Utah last week. Um, uh, the, um, the, the many elements of READY, which is the uh, acronym for uh, the Real Emergency Access for Aging and Disability Inclusion for Disasters Act, um, uh, there are many provisions in that and many provisions in the um, uh, DERMA, Disaster Relief Medicaid Act, that um, need to be uh, implemented now and in the future. Not the least of which is an obligation to uh, ensure that there are resources in place for monitoring and enforcing the rights of people with disabilities in disasters and funding for training and technical assistance for local emergency managers, uh, research, to identify what good and promising practices there are. Um, and so it is both uh, good news that the current bill has some funding for the kinds of programs uh, you know, like 
the Centers for Independent Living um, and you know, some of the other resources, but the home and community-based services that are so desperately needed um, are not uh, well included in this. And uh, extremely concerning is the fact that this $2 trillion uh, um, uh, approach to what is very likely to be the worst disaster we've ever experienced does absolutely nothing to focus on the rights of people with disabilities and our needs in this and in future disasters. <clears throat> Marcy, since we're a blindness uh, specific organization, um, are there any policies that either are being looked at or that we should be advocating for? I know I've heard that it's very likely that we're going to have multiple more stimulus bills coming down the pipeline in the who knows how long future. Um, so is there anything that you think would be appropriate or that you've seen used before that we should be advocating for? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, yes, and happily, much of that is in those two bills. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. You know, in particular, um, you know, the, the, um, the need to take a hard look at how all those federal dollars are being spent because there is no monitoring and enforcement of the use of $2 trillion to ensure that those dollars are spent in compliance with the rehabilitation. Um, and uh, for people who are blind, for people who have low vision, uh, all of the issues that people are currently experiencing, whether those are uh, issues around um, <clears throat> being able to maintain your own health and safety, <clears throat> excuse me, or whether those are your concerns <clears throat> for the people that you're providing uh, services for, um, you know, if, if as we are identifying where those shortfalls are, this is our opportunity to not admire those problems, but in fact, to work together in coalition, <coughs> excuse me, to work in coalition to make sure that um, potential solutions are put in place um, in those future bills. Um, mm -hmm. My role with the World Institute on Disability, we have um, uh, just recently, um, uh, I've only been there six months, so we have just recently established a uh, focus on emergency preparedness, disaster risk reduction, and climate resilience. And um, we, uh, we work very closely with the Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies and many other uh, uh, disability, uh, uh, um, uh, disabled persons, organizations, organizations led by people with disabilities working together to make sure uh, that we are at the table, that that table is accessible, and that we are um, 
uh, able to assume a leadership role. Uh, we, we are deeply committed to the adage, nothing about us without us. Mm -hmm. We are especially focused on the fact that uh, most people with disabilities are not the least bit vulnerable. Uh, we are in fact masters at solving problems. We do it on a daily basis. And, and we, um, uh, what, what creates the vulnerability is the failure to include us, the failure <clears throat> to give us equal access to the um, decision-making. Um, we are uh, uh, considered to be liabilities in emergencies and disasters, and we're trying to shift that paradigm because when we have the access that we uh, need, um, we are not only not liabilities, we are in fact assets in our communities, force multipliers, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> others can um, really benefit from our experience uh, on a daily basis in uh, changing uh, the way that local communities uh, meet the needs of the whole community. Mm -hmm. um, in this time of catastrophic uh, emergency um, with devastating uh, impact, um, one of the things that is needed more than anything at all is a process by which we help people to maintain their health. When people are able to maintain their health, they can stay out of the acute medical system, which now more than ever before needs to be available to the people who require acute medical care. And so um, as people with disabilities, as leaders in our communities, um, we are fighting hard to make sure that that ability to maintain our health, uh, which includes access to our medications, <clears throat> access to the personal assistance that we require, transportation when it's needed, um, those are the things that are going to enable us to be part of the solution rather than being forced into the acute care system because of the failures of those systems to uh, recognize um, what it is that makes us um, vulnerable and um, addressing and solving those issues rather than continue to assume that our vulnerability is the problem. Problem, mm. the shortfalls of the system. That's so well put. Thank you, Marcy. Um, just to go back briefly to uh, the Ready Act in Derma, I just wanted to put a plug that um, ACB has definitely been in the room through things like the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities in our emergency preparedness. So those are things we're definitely aware of um, and promoting. So um, who knows, it might be something we're asking uh, you ACB members to be advocating for as well. So thanks for bringing those up, Marcy. Um, yeah. Um, so thank you so much, Marcy, for speaking with us today. I know I learned a lot just being part of this conversation. 
and we're going to continue to talk about emergency preparedness and the COVID-19 crisis as it um, continues on, hopefully not for long, but we know as ACB members and blind and visually impaired people, we want to have um, as much information at our fingertips so that we can make sure that we have access to, to all the information and accommodations and things we need to weather this crisis. So uh, thank you so much, Marcy. We really appreciate it. Um, as always, if you guys have any other advocacy needs as it pertains to COVID-19 or anything else, you can always um, reach out to us at ACB at advocacy or excuse me, advocacy at acv.org. Again, that's, thanks, Clark, laugh at me. Advocacy yeah. at acv.org. <laughs> and Marcy, uh, before we sign off here, if folks want to do some more work on their own, if they want to um, become an expert for their local area on um, the impact of the disability community and emergency preparedness, are there a few resources that you could throw out to point folks in the right direction to get them started? Absolutely. First and foremost, um, go to the uh, um, uh, Partnership for Inclusive Disaster Strategies, which is uh, www.disasterstrategies.org. And the um, uh, second uh, uh, tool resource that I would encourage you. Uh, is to go to the um, website where all the information about the two bills is, uh, and that's at www.readyreadi.com. So that's R-E-A-A-D-I.com. Um, and there's uh, a lot of good information in there, including a little uh, overview that is audio described. Um, and uh, you can also uh, certainly come to www.wid.org um, because uh, we are, of course, uh, continuing to share uh, information that uh, not only here in the U.S., but globally, um, the initiatives underway for um, our brothers and sisters across the globe mm -hmm. who um, are being impacted by this catastrophic pandemic. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you again, Marcy. This was great. I know I learned a lot, um, and it's, it's great to hear that there are other organizations out there I'm working so, so hard on these issues. Um, again, reach out to us at uh, advocacy at acb.org. And Clark, what do we always say? Keep advocating and wash your hands. <laughs> Touche. Lead on. We're very, very happy to be working alongside you all and uh, really appreciate your leadership. Get up, get up, get up, get up. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. 
You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org. Thank you.